Welcome to a podcast about wealth and life with the advisors from Foster and Motley. In this podcast, they share their mission to help individuals, couples, and families achieve the life they envision by providing a comprehensive wealth management experience. Join this seasoned team of experts as they explore actionable steps to improve your financial well-being and answer your most pressing questions. Manage your money. You can do that, right? Stick to a budget, balance your checkbook, and everything will be fine. Although, come to think of it, does anyone really balance a checkbook anymore? Well, managing your money goes well beyond those simple steps. And Foster and Motley's David Neighbor, a financial planner, and Zach Horn, an investment manager, are here to talk about why it's so hard to do it on your own. I'm Patrice Sikora. Welcome back, gentlemen. And you get the leadoff question today, Dave. Why can managing your money be more difficult than you might think? Well, Patrice, it's good to be back with you again. Why can managing your money be more difficult than you might think? You know, as I think about this, I have an introspection about other things in life that seem so easy and then can end up being difficult. And it brings me to the topic of overall health and weight. And you break it down to pieces, Patrice, and it's simple, you know, burn more calories than you consume, drink a lot of water, get good sleep, and you're going to be on the right path to better health and weight. Fortunately, this is a podcast, so you can't see what I've been up to during the coronavirus. <laughs> so some things aren't always as simple as they seem. In investing, it can seem just as simple as a few steps, spend less than you make, Invest in a broadly diversified portfolio, keep costs low, and chances are your financial health is going to be in good shape. But just like other topics in life, it's always a little bit more complicated than that. We're inundated with data, our human emotion, our communication with spouses. There's a lot of roadblocks that investors can face and that advisors help them overcome those roadblocks. So Joined here with Zach today, I'm certain, Zach, and we share a lot of clients, I'm certain you can think of times where emotion and money intersect. Sure, Dave. Of course, you know, money can be a very emotional topic and you know, we're all human and, and nobody's above it. And you know, we work with clients on a regular basis that are seeking help to manage their money, to provide financial planning and, and investment advice. And a big part of that help is, is helping them take the emotion out of it. Emotion can actually you know, be detrimental to, to handling money, to handling finances, and to making wise investment decisions. And you know, we see that all too often in the hot stock market, where everybody wants to pile in and get a piece of the action, or you know, the flip side of that, when the stock market takes a meaningful pullback and people you know, really it takes, take kind of a gut punch and it's hard to hang in there when stock values seemingly go down each and every day. And, and people feel like, you know, they're losing their hard earned money and they're you know, emotionally spent because of the lack of control they have and, and the risk and the fear that is involved in that. So certainly emotion plays a big role when, when dealing with money. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest values that we can add to our clients is helping remove or at least handle that emotional emotion and, and investment connection in a more healthy way. Well, are you not allowed to feel emotion though? I mean, you, you made a, a good investment, a good call and yes, get excited. 
Yeah, and all too often the the good calls are are the ones that stick in our memory, and the bad calls fade away, and then history is doomed to repeat itself. So <laughs> you never get never get too high, never get too low. You want to you know maintain a, a steady approach to investing and and having a discipline to to make the right decision regardless of emotion. So even if the market's going down and you're feel, fearful or the market is going up and you start to get a bit greedy, stick to the long-term plan, the predetermined plan. And, and that usually will guide people down the right path. Yeah, but Zach, that's not fun. <laughs> not fun. It's, it is not quite as fun. <laughs> no doubt about it. But you know, in general, we have clients that understand the premise of, of disciplined investing and sticking to the long game and, 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 you know, really looking at, at it as a marathon and not a sprint, but it's very easy to get caught up in the moment of what the market's doing today, this week, this month, and the impact that it's having in the short run becomes, you know, overwhelming to our mindset. And we really get tied up in, in recency bias and thinking the market's going down. It's only going to go down further. Things are going terribly and I'm going to lose a lot of money. I need to act. I need to, to have control over this situation. And typically that's the wrong thing to do to, to try and remove yourself from that risk. In fact, a disciplined process to investing would say you are now at a lower position of, of stock relative to the rest of your portfolio. If the stock market's down, gone down considerably, so it's time to buy, to rebalance. So there actually is a competing interest between your emotions and what the, you know, the wise thing to do is in the moment. And that can be challenging for clients. That can be challenging for investors in general. And what you described there, Zach, is <clears throat> buying things when they're on sale. And the stock market is the only thing that I consistently see people not want to buy on sale. And we all get excited for a deal, whether it's a car or a much smaller purchase. If we feel like we got a deal, we get excited. When the market's down a lot, the first reaction is let's hold tight. Let's not invest more. So I think an advisor can have a big impact on that too. Yep, certainly. That's a good point. And, you know, I was talking a little bit about recency bias and, and you know, thinking uh, in terms of the market as of what's happened late as of late, but also people get confirmation biases. And there's other biases as well that go into investing where we, we can you know, tell ourselves that something is the right decision because we can find any amount of, of research to support that or you know, even have this feeling that, that come, you know, that I'll put in air quotes that this time is different, which people say often in, in a market environment that's either uniquely good or uniquely bad. Well, this time is different. You know, this time the market won't recover. Well, we believe it will because it always has. So don't bail out of the market, you know, buy back in, buy on sale, as David mentioned, and, and keep a focus on the long-term goals and not short-term emotional reactions. And as you said, though, a lot of people, they do focus on the successes. Hey, I made, I made a killing on that. Don't forget the killing you lost over here. Yeah, exactly. And I think that just fuels the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And I think the current environment we're in here and May of 2021 is just that. Uh, a lot of people making a lot of money in things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So you get that fear of missing out. You know, the one reaction I didn't expect to see when I got into this business was the in the downturn, holding on to cash 
in celebrating that victory so much. You know, we saw an example back in 08, 09, and then we saw a dramatic example last year with the global pandemic. But that client that has received an inheritance, has retired and said, I'm going to sit in cash for a little bit for whatever reason. When they see that downturn, that victory just stays with that person, making it even that much more difficult to invest for the long term. Zach, I know we've seen that with some clients. Is that something you've experienced as well? Yeah, we we certainly have. And just thinking of those those wins or losses, as as you talk about, David and Patrice, as you indicated, clients certainly do focus on the wins or whatever they can perceive as a win. And you know, one way to to kind of remove that anchoring of of just looking at successes and not the big picture is to track your results, compare it appropriately against benchmarks and see how you're doing over the long run. So then you can't just have this anecdotal evidence that says, well, I'm a really good investor. I'm making great decisions because I bought this stock and it was a winner and I bought that stock and then ignoring the times when you didn't make the the best decisions. So you certainly want to, to, to have a proper way to track the results that you're getting from your investments, whether you're a do-it-yourself or you have an advisor, it's important that you do that. So you truly do know what the results are long-term and it helps you stay on course. It helps you it helps you stay in the long game when, when you got a benchmark to compare yourself to. And does it happen that people find they've, they've, they've had some success in one area and they say, well, I had the success with this stock. I want more of this stock. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that happens often. And it can be that, that a client bought a stock that, was, that did really well and they want more of it or they just see another investment that's doing really well out there and, and they want some of it. And some of what David said, the fear of missing out certainly comes into play here. And you know, we, we firmly believe in broad diversification and spreading your investments around and do not want someone to get caught up in you know, a, a, the thought that a trade is so successful in the short run that it deserves more and more and more and more money to the point where you have a large concentrated position. And now are you not only subject to uh, market risk, but you've got way more business specific risk to owning that stock than you would want to have. And it just adds a higher level of risk than clients realize. And, and we'll touch on risk in a little bit because that risk tolerance is something that comes into play in a lot of what we're talking about here, which is very, very relevant to investments and to how people can handle the emotion, the emotional roller coaster. Of, of being in the stock market and in, in other investment markets. But, you know, for the, the most part, as an advisor dealing with clients and trying to keep emotions in check, it's just a, a big part of it is ongoing communication and setting expectations, having a conversation almost like we're having here to describe to clients the issues that we all feel, see and feel and things that come up because you know, we're all human and we're not, you know, we are not able to avoid these emotional triggers altogether when it comes to our own finances either. It's very hard for us to think about our own money in in the same way that we do for a client where we, we take a very disciplined, rigid approach, which we know is the right thing to do. But when you're handling your own money, it's just a little bit different. And so we, you know, we have to talk ourselves down sometimes as well. That's so true, Zach. I, in this whole conversation, none of this should feel like us 
talking down on anyone. We're all human. We have those emotions and so many of them can be positive, but they do make for some poor investor behaviors too. And some of the worst investors I've seen are professionals that have that confirmation bias and plow into just a handful of companies, advice they would never give their client, but they do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Or the CPA that does a strategy with a hundred different clients, but doesn't have the administrative time to do it for themselves. So they lose out on some tax opportunities. And Zach and I are in that same boat. You know, personally, I use Foster and Motley to make investment decisions. So I can just separate myself from that, not be subject to trying to make timing decisions and just giving that emotional buffer for a, a thoughtful long-term process. How about day trading? Talk about emotion. Yeah, day trading is, it certainly is, is something that can stimulate the emotions. I think day trading has kind of become a derogatory, derogatory term and really is, is tough to be successful at. I mean, you know, it's oftentimes looking at the market technicals and specific stock trends and, and trying to make snap judgments that can, you know, return profits in very short order. And the stock market is extremely unpredictable. In it's in the long run, you get a better sense of what stocks will do. We can the longer the period, the the better mm -hmm. we can estimate what your return will be. But in the short run, from day to day, we really have no idea. There's so many variables that play into it. And so, you know, day trading, most most people that want to invest are, are just picking stocks and trying to you know make some money and then time the market and when to get in and out not not true day trading where you're you're actually um, cycling through investments over the course of hours and minutes each and every day and 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 picking up you know trying to pick up gain along the way so day traders are that's a you know a different genre aside from the typical retail trader the do it yourselfer and for the most part, those that do get more involved in trading on a regular basis like that, it's kind of the old adage that your, you know, your portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the less of it there will be. <laughs> and so this churning, this day trading, for the most part, is not a good outcome. Now, there, there are, I guess, professionals, I'll put that in air quotes too, that, that maybe do that and do that well. But for the average investor, it's, it's not a great idea. And it can take a huge emotional toll on people too. We have some clients that maybe had some of those behaviors at one point and realized it wasn't the right thing for their family and for their business. And it can take a real emotional toll to do that kind of speculating versus investing. Well, you mentioned that, David, that you actually have Foster and Motley for your own money too. How is working that way as an individual would be with an advisor? How is that beneficial when it comes to managing your money? Well, I think it's important that as a firm, we have a, a philosophy and that our employees adhere to that personally too. That's kind of the self-serving part of it. The, the bigger issue I think is just recognizing in myself that I have that same emotion and allowing my wife Maureen to hear from an advisor and to have that communication that maybe I wouldn't have with her if we didn't have an advisor. I would just be investing our money instead of having that independent person with a long-term focus. So I think spousal communication is a big part of it too. All right. And the advisor then helps to take out the emotion from the investing. 
Yeah, they make us put it on paper. They give us <laughs> accountability. They say, what are we going to measure it against? How often are we going to review it? When are we going to make changes? And without that advisor, those things are a lot easier for me to do on my own. And to Zach's point, can typically have some detrimental uh, impact on a long-term plan. And I'll add, you know, from my own perspective as well, you know, we've got incredible experience and intelligence on our investment team. And we collectively put thoughts and, and research together to come up with our investment approach and, you know, our, our, our model, so to speak, and what stocks and bonds and funds we're buying at any given point in time. And so I follow that model. I don't, I don't deviate and say, well, I think I may, there may be a better opportunity over here or there or elsewhere, or try to make money in the short run. You know, I personally use that as my accountability. And then, you know, same thing on the planning side, the financial planning side of, of the world is that you know, I'm an investment manager, but I am also a certified financial planner. So I know a little bit about planning, but I don't do the financial planning in entirety for my family, my wife and I, and, and our family. I have a, a partner at Foster Motley help us with that. And a big piece of it, as David mentioned, is communicating, you know, with my wife and, and making sure that she understands how everything is situated and that we're making the best decisions. But it's also to take the emotion out of some of the financial planning decisions as well. And, and to have a sounding board to, to, to make sure that we're making the best possible decisions we can at the right time and that we don't get short-sighted or caught up in the emotion of it all. So, yeah, I think the, the value of having an advisor for both investing and for all other aspects of your financial life, for financial planning in general, it's extremely beneficial. And in fact, there was a study done by... Vanguard. This was specific to investments, but it was related to what was termed advisor alpha. And it was just showing the different inputs from an advisor, or the different services, the different characteristics of working with an advisor that lead to better performance in the long run. And the, the number one factor was that accountability, taking the emotion out of it and preventing investors from making poor decisions based on market timing or emotional highs and lows. And, you know, that's a big piece of what we do is just, it's being with our clients in person, on the phone and through email, whatever it is during the good times and the bad, when they may get a little fearful or a little greedy and keeping them focused on the long-term plan. And that advisor alpha ties into the fact that, you know, the average investor meaningfully underperforms the stock market. So if you look at the S&P 500 as a benchmark, and then you look at investor returns of investors, you know, buying stocks or even buying an S&P 500 fund because of trying to time the market, getting in when things have gotten a little expensive and a little frothy or getting out when things get a little, a little choppy and a little scary, those, those timing, those, those moves trying to time the market, trying to, trying to add or save try to add value or save value from going down even further, end up costing real dollars, real return in the long run for the average investor. And so the, you know, the proof is out there that emotions can, can inhibit our ability to make sound investment decisions. Well, and Zach, I think we saw this during the pandemic. The phone didn't ring as much as I thought it would. And I thought we got to clients before they got to us. 
And I think about that. And why is that? I think part of it is it just happened so fast and it impacted all parts of our life, not just our portfolio, but our working environment, our families, our kids' education. But I think the other factors I reflect on that more is just our clients have that why. Why am I investing? And then that helps you remove that speculating side that I don't, you know, my neighbor may have made a bunch of money on Bitcoin, but I have a different strategy. My why is I'm investing for retirement or a second home, whatever those goals may be. So I think tying that together, having that bigger picture of why you're investing is a really important attribute that an advisor helps clarify. Talk to me about accountability, David. You know, it's a lot of things are easy to say. The action obviously is always the challenge. I think there's an administrative piece of it, Patrice, that just is a roadblock to so many people. Hey, I know I've got this 401k sitting there and I need to move it over. And what will the tax impact be of that? And, oh, I guess I have to name new beneficiaries for that. And so what ends up happening is just inaction. Uh, We see it with so many folks that don't work with an advisor. They just don't know where to start. When Zach and I work with a new client and we try to put together their net worth, which seems like a pretty simple exercise, right? Put the paper, the things you own and the things that you owe and the difference is your net worth. For new clients, that can take hours of paperwork and old statements and digging stuff up. So I think an advisor really brings that accountability of here's the plan, but also the administrative help of we can help simplify this and just bring you some peace of mind that everything's working as efficiently as possible. And I'll tie into that communication among clients and advisors to to better understand your clients and their risk tolerance, for instance. You know, that's something that, that seems, you know, people would think they've got a good grasp on, oh, I can, you know, I can stomach risk, I can invest in stocks and that's just fine when the stock market's doing really well, but that becomes particularly challenging when the stock market does poorly. And so when a client comes in and says, you know, I'm the, I'm an all stock type of an investor. And then they're the first one to panic when the stock market tanks, because it hurts them the hardest. And maybe the risk tolerance changes in the midst of a downturn. They realize maybe I don't have the risk tolerance I thought I did. And at that point in time, it's, you know, it's a little bit too late to perfectly write the ship. So having conversations early on, we actually do a risk tolerance assessment of clients to get a feel for, you know, based on kind of real world examples, what, how they would react in certain environments. And it's, you know, it's, it's a positive step in the right direction. It's certainly not the same as living through those environments. But a lot of our clients have now done that, of course, with the pandemic and what happened with the stock market Mm -hmm. just falling off a cliff last year. And also in 2008, 2009, we worked with clients through the Great Recession, which was an extremely trying time for investors and for everybody as the economy plummeted. But, you know, that's having a plan in place prior to that, that you've already done some of that stress testing. So you really get a better feel for what a client's risk tolerance is and, and their expectations are set better. You know, we want to inform clients when they sign what we call an investment policy statement. We want to inform them of how we've collaborated and determined an appropriate risk level and, and what that looks like as far as asset allocation is considered, how much in stocks, bonds, and other investments. But then we also show returns that could come about 
based on that asset allocation. So it would show that if you've got a 60-40 mix roughly in the, you know, in a trying time when the market, like, like a, the Great Recession, your returns would have been, you know, you would have been down 30 some percent and say, is that you know, something you can actually stomach? Because that's, you know, not a high likelihood of happening anytime soon, but it's a possibility. And so having those detailed conversations with clients really gets them thinking in a more appropriate way about risk and return. And, you know, the long-term benefits from investing, if you can stay in the game and, and face the short-term challenges. And I'll give one example that, you know, was, was a unique challenge is for, for a client that I work with uh, this past year when the pandemic hit, she was really struggling to hang in there with her portfolio. Now, a lot of this was because of some uncertainty in other areas of her life. And then when you, you know, combine the financial uncertainty and, you know, of course, a pandemic that we're all fearful of for, for our own health and safety, it was just too much that she couldn't control. And so the, the best path forward we could see was to give a bit and say, okay, well, let's, let's make an adjustment. So you feel like you have more control. Let's reduce the amount of stock exposure that you have. So that risk is therefore reduced. Ultimately, we think doing so after a, a meaningful downturn could hurt your return long-term, but if it helps you stay in the game, if it helps you from, you know, totally going overboard because you just can't take the stress anymore, then that's a positive step in the right direction. So again, that just, that goes to that interplay of risk and return and the emotions that play into it. And, you know, those really, really come to the forefront when we see significant market movement. You know, it's interesting, Zach, because if I came to you and said, your house just lost 30% in value, what would you tell me? Not selling, definitely not selling. Yeah. You'd say, I got a roof over my head. That's why I bought a house. And investments are just different. They go down 30%. And I think we quickly forget the why. And an advisor can help reframe that. So you're investing in stocks that pay dividends and bonds that pay interest. And that's supporting your income. So it is it is interesting how we look at these things differently. And emotion gets involved in our decision making. All right. You guys have really given an overview of all the things you can do for a client, what would you say to wrap up the conversation? Well, I think it's important that we're all aware of the many forces that are pulling on us from emotion to data, to well-meaning neighbors that have a story to share. And I think an advisor is someone that can help you navigate that, can bring that spousal communication, can bring that big picture. And ultimately the value in that Patrice is moving from someone that's a speculator and buying something without clear understanding of why you're buying that to an investor, someone that's set up for the long-term to generate an income stream and have that sound advice to keep you on track when things get tough and things mm -hmm. do get tough as investors. And we've seen that lately. Zach, comments? I'll just add that behavioral finance is a, a, a big area of study because you know our behavior and finance interact and sometimes not in the greatest of ways. And you know, we all have biases. We're all kind of you know tied to to thinking that we've grown up with or learned. And we all have emotions 
And again, those emotions for the most part are healthy, but can make you, you know, do some decisions in, in relation to your investments that may not be in your best long-term benefit. And so the, the conversation around this topic is important and an advisor's assistance to clients is not just, it's not just numbers. It's, it's not making decisions for our clients, but helping be a, a sounding board, as I mentioned before, a, a, an accountability partner and, and someone that can really, you know, just step back and look at the big picture unemotionally and guide our clients to the best decisions for them and their family in the long run. And if I could just interject one final comment there, it's, it can be tough to face past decisions that we've made. You've got to make yourself vulnerable and admit those things. And if there's one takeaway from this conversation, I hope today it's, we are all subject to those behaviors and biases. So sitting down, having that conversation with an advisor can make you feel vulnerable, but it certainly comes with some long-term benefits. David Neenaber, Zach Horn, thank you so much for all your insights here. This is the latest episode in Foster and Motley's podcast about wealth and life. Please subscribe, share, and comment. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to Foster and Motley, a podcast about wealth and life. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information discussed and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Foster and Motley. The content, including mention of specific investments or planning techniques, is for informational and for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a recommendation or a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions regarding your financial planning and investments. Foster and Motley is not affiliated with any third-party providers. Any mention of a third-party provider does not imply an endorsement of that provider. If you decide to utilize a third-party provider, you do so at your own risk.